I think you're awake now, aren't you? Isn't that good? Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, why don't you take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 is where we are uh, this morning. As Britton said just a few minutes ago, we are in a series within a series. Uh, we're still walking through the book of Daniel, but we're making an emphasis on the Christmas time. And, and, um, and, and what Ricky just saying just a second ago fits in perfectly with the book of Daniel, what we're talking about today. Uh, but we've titled this series within a series, Christmas in Babylon. Because who doesn't want to go to Babylon for Christmas? Amen. I mean, it just fits, right? Beautiful brown sands, 100 degrees. It's perfect for Christmas, right? Well, this series, within the series, the goal is simply, is simply this, is that we want to uh, connect Babylon uh, with Bethlehem, with Brunswick, and beyond. That's what I want to do on the next several weeks leading up to Christmas, just connect Babylon uh, to Bethlehem, to Brunswick, and to beyond. And as we do that, I do want to let you know, in case some of you are wondering, there are only 26 days until Christmas. Just want to let you know, because I'm sure over the next few days and weeks, we will hear something like this, I can't wait until Christmas. I can't wait. And a lot of times we hear that from our from our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren, who say they can't wait until Christmas. And, and really what they mean is what? They can't wait till they open what? All the presents. They can't wait. You know, but I know for many of us, we can't wait either. And I, I know that uh, in this year, 2020, um, as we concluded, and we're so ready for 2021 to get here, amen, we can't wait but many of us may be waiting for a job. Maybe we've lost due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Maybe some of us right now, you're waiting for um, a relationship to be restored. Or maybe somebody is waiting for their health to uh, recover. Well, whatever you are waiting for right now today, I have some good news for you. The Christmas story is all about waiting. It's all about waiting. It's waiting for the arrival of the Christ child. Today begins what is called Advent. Some of you may know that. Some of you may, with your sons and your daughters, uh, do an Advent calendar or something like that. But, uh, but today begins Advent. Now, what in the world is Advent? Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which comes from the Greek word parousia, which means the coming. And so Advent, that which we began today, and as we began Daniel chapter 9, uh, Advent is a reminder to all believers across the world that we need to look forward to the birth of Christ as we wait. As we wait. And in Daniel chapter 9, and again, I just love how God orchestrates um, our decisions. In Daniel chapter 9, we are going to see that as we wait, we need to look forward to the first advent, the first coming of Christ. But Daniel is going to tell us that we need to prepare for that midnight cry. We need to prepare for that second coming of Christ Jesus, the second advent. Here in Daniel chapter 9, we are studying and reading today what many scholars, and I agree with them, this is the greatest prophetic chapter in the entire Bible. If you want to know prophecy, this is where you begin. This has been called the, the keyhole of prophecy. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, many of you may know that name, he calls chapter 9 the backbone of biblical prophecy. 
Now, if we understand Daniel chapter 9, you and I will have a good framework to understand the book of Revelation. We will have a good framework to understand what is going to take place in the end times, and we will have a pretty good idea of, of when it may happen. Now, we will never know the day, the time, or the hour. Amen? We will never know the day, the time, or the hour. That's up to the Father, God the Father. However, he has given us some clues, and he is very clear on when that midnight cry may take place. But until then, we must wait and we must prepare for the second advent, the second coming of Christ Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Are you ready? Daniel chapter 9. Follow along as we read God's word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Media descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel... Now, these two verses, they tell us the timing of Daniel chapter 9. Now, this is very key. You're going to need to write down some dates um, this morning and write them down on your notes. Write them in the margin of your Bible as well because you need to understand this. Uh, the dating and the timing of this prophecy is key. If you remember, in Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar, who was king of Babylon and king of the Babylonian kingdom, which in Daniel chapter 2, the statue is uh, the, the head of gold. In Daniel chapter 7, it is uh, the lion with eagle's wings. Um, in Daniel chapter 5, this kingdom is destroyed. And once it is destroyed, it is immediately replaced by the Medes and the Persians. And the Persian king is the name Darius. So that gives you a clue when this prophecy, when this vision is taking place. This prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, takes place after Daniel chapter 5 when Babylon has been destroyed, and it takes place at some point in Daniel chapter 6. Now, what is Daniel chapter 6? Daniel chapter 6 is Daniel and the lion's den. This is when the Medes and the Persians were ruling. So this is approximately uh, 10 to 12 years after Daniel chapter 8, and Daniel is a young buck. He's about 80 years old at this point. He's about 80 to 90 years old when Daniel receives this great vision, this, this timing of the Messiah, the Prince. Now, what I want you to see in the next couple of verses, you're going to see what Daniel does as he waits, because he is waiting in exile, he is waiting for a possible return home, he's waiting for something to happen. Now, in this, we're going to see a couple of examples of how we need to wait as we prepare for the advent of Christ. I want you to write this down. You're going to see this in, in verse number 2 and 3. While we wait, we read God's Word. While we wait for whatever it is, the coming of Christ, His birth, Christmas, or His second coming, or whatever it is in your life, while we wait... You read God's word. And we get this example from Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet. I want you to notice the word observed. Look at that. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, put a star by it. That word observed, in Hebrew, it's the word bean. And it means to know with the mind. 
So when Daniel is reading, he's reading with his mind and he's practicing the skill of knowing God's word, or knowing God's will by reading his word. Daniel wants to know what God has already said. I can't tell you how many times in my ministry um, that, that I've had people come up to me and say something like this, and I'm sure you've had it as well. You know, Pastor, God told me to do this. Or, or God told me to do that. Has that ever happened with anybody? And whenever somebody tells me that, uh, I want to go to them and say, well, does this line up with Scripture? Does what you just told me, does it line up with Scripture, and is it something that the Scripture clearly identifies? You see, when Daniel reads God's Word, he's wanting to know God's will. And if you want to know God's will for your life, you go to God's Word. You don't sit around and wait for it to come to you. You get active while you're waiting on God's will for your life. You read God's word because God's word is the revealed word of God. And so when Daniel reads here, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, when he reads, this is not a superficial reading of God's word. It is intense. It is observation. It is, uh, it is interpretation. It is application. And he's reading God's word. And, and I'm a big, big believer and proponent that as Christians, we need to spend more time studying God's word instead of reading just devotionals. Are you with me? Are you awake this morning? Now, I'm not against devotionals. I read a devotional every day. I read devotionals, and devotionals are great things. And continue to do that. But we need to spend more time reading God's Word, observing it, and knowing it with our mind. Now, here's what we know about Daniel. I want, you to, I want to remind you of this about Daniel. All of his life, Daniel has been a very busy man. He's been an important man in every single one of the governments that he was under. He was a, a big-timer in the Babylonian government. He's now a big-timer in the Medes and the Persian government. And he works in the government, and he is busy. But notice this. He still has time to read God's Word. His busyness does not lead to barrenness. So many times we say, I am too busy to read God's word. Daniel was extremely busy. Doesn't let that get in the way of him reading God's word. Now, just for a moment, I want to, I want to challenge men right here. Because as I was reading and studying and preparing for Daniel, this chapter, which is a, which is a very difficult chapter, even though it's extremely important, um, I was reading this and reading how Daniel observed in the books, he read God's word. I just came under conviction for, for men specifically. And men, let me tell you why. Because this is observation of, of current church culture um, and, and what other scholars and what other theologians see within the church. Churches, numerically, women outnumber men in churches. Women say, that's right. Women outnumber men in churches. And I've also noticed this, that women, more so than men, are way more interested in deeply studying God's Word than the men are. And I've seen that all in my ministry. 
I've seen that all in our ministry that, man, women, they will sign up for deep Bible study. You can, it is difficult to get men to study God's Word deeply. And I became convicted over that. I began to question why. Why? And so I, and I challenged men here at First Baptist Church of Brunswick, here in the Golden Isles. Men, when will we rise up and long to know God's Word just like Daniel? Daniel, at an early age, Daniel 1, verse 8, said, I made up my mind, I will not defile myself. I will not eat of the king's food. I will only eat of, of God's word. Men, when will we rise up to say, I want to know God's word. I want to hide it in my heart that I may not sin against God. Men, when will we study it? When will we mark up our Bibles? Men, when will we lead our ladies, our children? When will we lead them back to God's word? I'm so convicted that men, we need to hide God's word in our hearts so that we can lead our families, so we can lead our businesses, and so we can lead the church. I got one amen, and that was from a lady. Are, Are you with me? Are you with me? I mean, if we see change in the culture, we see changes in the families, we see changes in the church, and it was going to take place when men study God's Word. Well, Pastor, I... I was being honest with you, Pastor. I really, you know, I can't read very well. And I just like to work with my hands. I just like projects. Well, good. That's great. But that does not negate the reading of God's Word. Projects do not negate the reading of God's Word. I was thinking, I was thinking, men, I was thinking, how do you think Job survived all of this great unspeakable sufferings that he had? And how did he survive a nagging wife? Let me tell you, it wasn't through projects. It's through personal devotion to the Heavenly Father. Men, write this down. 2 Samuel 7, 18. Men, write it down. 2 Samuel 7, 18. Write this down. This is one of my uh, favorite verses, one that I go to a lot. And it writes about King David. King David, a man's man. King David, chapter 7, verse 18, 2 Samuel said this. Then the king, King David, went in and he sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. Men, our power, our strength, our passion, our ability to love our wives, our ability to lead our children, our ability, our power, our strength, our passion, our desire, it comes when you and I sit before the Lord, when we have an open Bible, and we say, God, speak to me. When you and I, men, when we make that a priority to observe the word of the Lord, then our wives and our children and our businesses will all see a major difference. Well, I will get off my soapbox now. Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So we know that Daniel is reading God's word, but what is he specifically reading? Say, Jeremiah. You guys are so smart. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is Daniel's contemporary. But what I love about Daniel is not only is he reading the book, but he's also interacting with it. Look at verse number three. So I, Daniel, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him. 
Now, why do you think that Daniel is seeking the Lord God? He's read God's word, and now he is giving his attention to the Lord. He's seeking him. Why is Daniel taking the time to seek the Lord after he read it in God's word? Let me tell you why. Because he doesn't understand it. Take great comfort if you don't understand God's word sometimes. Daniel doesn't understand it. There's times when I don't understand it. And so when you read God's word, if you say, man, I don't understand what that means, what you do then is you go to the Lord and say, God, show me what is going on here. The psalmist says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And so when you read and you don't understand it, it happens to everybody. It happens to Daniel. It happens to me. It happens to you. Then you just go and you seek the Lord. So what confused Daniel in the book of Jeremiah? Well, what confused him was the last two words in verse number two, 70 years. That phrase, 70 years, is key to biblical prophecy. Well, what in the world was he talking about? Turn over with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. Are y'all with me this morning? Jeremiah chapter 25. Go over there because this is written. Jeremiah writes chapter 25 around the year 605 B.C. What do you know about 605 B.C.? Say that's when Daniel was exiled to Babylon. It's great. Y'all are wonderful. So Jeremiah chapter 25 was written when Daniel is a young boy. When he's about 15 years old, it's written... And just on a side note, as you're going to Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, do you remember that? For I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope, a future, and a promise, was also written around 605 B.C., and it was written to the Babylonian, excuse me, written to the Israelites who are going to be sent into exile. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, was written for the Jewish people who are in exile. It's not written for me and you. Pastor, you just blew my mind. Well, get ready, because I'm going to blow your mind some more. So look at this. This is what Daniel is reading. Daniel is reading Jeremiah chapter 25. He's about 70 years later after this has been written. Keep that in mind, okay? Verse number 7, follow along your copy of God's Word or on the screen behind me. And this is what Jeremiah writes. This is what Daniel read. He reads, yet you have not listened to me. This is Jeremiah talking to uh, the Israelite people, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and I will take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to, what's that word? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the statue, the head of gold, the, the lion with eagle's wings, my servant, and I will bring him against this land, Israel, and against its inhabitants, the Jewish people, and against all those nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them, and I will make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, now listen to this, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. He's talking about there will be no celebration. I will take from them the sound of the millstones. Talking about work. I will take from them the joys of work uh, and, and productive work and the light of the lamp. Verse 11, this whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How long? 
70 years. Now, where is Daniel in Daniel chapter 9? He is about that 70 years away from the writing of Jeremiah chapter 25. So if Daniel's reading this, what do you think is going on? He's like, we're, it's getting close. It's getting close. He's getting close. And look at verse 12. Then it will be when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon. Who's the king in Daniel chapter 9? Say Darius of the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel seeing this going, oh my goodness. Then it will be when the 70 years are completed, I, God, will punish the king of Babylon. That king, that kingdom has already been uh, uh, destroyed is what Daniel's thinking. And that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it and all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against these nations. Can you just see Daniel getting excited? He's like, I'm at the 70 years. Something's coming. I'm about to go home. I'm about to go home. We're going to be sent back to our land. It's been 70 years. Now, in this text, Daniel sees a couple of things. I want to point this out to you. In this text, Daniel sees, one, he sees how long the Israelites are going to be in exile, and that is 70 years. And then he sees why they have been sent into exile. Well, Jeremiah tells us why the Israelites have been sent into exile. Why is that? It's because they've disobeyed God. I want you to listen to that for just a moment. They disobeyed God, and they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. When you do not listen to the voice of the Lord, exile is just a few steps away. Are you with me? Even today, when you disobey the voice of the Lord, that joy is taken away, isn't it? The song of the bridegroom and the bride, boom, it's gone. There's, there's no joy in Mudville. When you disobey God. And so God says, listen, after 70 years, you are going to return. And, you, and we're going to take out the Babylonians and we're going to be uh, coming back together. Well, go back to Daniel chapter 9. Go back to there. Flip over there. Now, notice what happens to Daniel. Notice what happens to Daniel. Notice his response to it. He's getting excited about the possibilities of what's going to happen. But then all of a sudden, look at verses 3 and 4. Look at this. Look at how Daniel responds to what he just read. He's under conviction. Matthew Henry, a popular commentary, said this about Daniel here in verse number 3. After reading Jeremiah 25, it says this. It slackened him. It did not straighten him, meaning it broke his heart and it put him to his knees. It took him to his knees and it broke Daniel's heart that the nation was no longer a nation with its own land because the people of God disobeyed. One commentator said this about Daniel chapter 9, 3 through 19, says this, this is the supernatural response of a scripture-saturated saint. It is a supernatural response of a scripture-saturated saint. Well, I want you to write this down. While we wait, we pray. Look at verse number 3 and 4. You still with me? Look at verse number 3, and it says this. So I gave my attention to the Lord God. I've read, 
I've studied, I've observed, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Look at verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God. So what we see here is Daniel responding to the reading of God's word. When he reads God's word and he sees the prophecies are being fulfilled, all of a sudden he is broken and he begins to pray and he begins to fast. And what you see in verses 4 through 19, and we're not going to read this prayer. It's a long prayer. It's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. It's your homework for today. Read verses 4 through 19. But in this prayer, Daniel, for the only time in the entire book of Daniel, Daniel uses the covenant name of God. He uses it eight times in verses 4 through 19. And the covenant name of God is Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, in some of your Bibles, you will see the word Lord. Do you see that? And whenever the word Lord is capitalized, like in smaller capital letters, do you see that? Some of your Bibles may have, have that. If your Bible has that, it has a big L, capital O, R, and D, that is the covenant personal name of God. That's Yahweh. That is Jehovah. And what that means and what that tells me in this prayer is this, that prayer is much more than just asking things from God. Daniel comes to God. He's reminded of the covenant that God has made. And Daniel prays in verses 4 through 19. And he says, God, I want to be involved in your covenant promises. I want to be a part of bringing my people back to the promised land. I want to be a part of what your plan is. I want to be a part of my people repenting, turning from their sins, and returning to you. God, I want to be a part of that. And when he, when he uses the covenant name of God, this is a personal, intimate prayer that Daniel has. He is praising God. He is worshiping God, but he is begging God. He's grabbing God by the face, so to speak. And he's saying, God, please, please fulfill your will. Fulfill your covenant within my people while I am still here. This is not a simple prayer. This is not the prayer of now as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. This is a prayer. He is begging God to move. He is begging God to move in his life and in his people. One commentary, commentary said this, that this prayer, this prayer is a modeled, model prayer for anybody who is concerned over the national decay. That this is a prayer that this is a prayer for somebody who is concerned about his people and about his country and how they have denied God and the consequences for that. So, if you're concerned about the status of our nation, which I don't know why you would, then this would be a great verse for you to pray, a good few verses to pray. Well, here's where it gets good. You think this was exciting? You think I'm getting excited? You just wait. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't wait. Well, as he's praying, something magnificent happens. While Daniel is praying, he is interrupted. And look at verses 20 through 23, and it tells us of this interruption. And what I want you to see is I want you to see if anything stands out as it relates to the Christmas story. And I want you to write this down. As we wait, God acts. As we wait, God acts. As we wait, we read. As we wait, we pray. And as we wait, God acts. And here, 
As Daniel's praying, God acts. He interrupts Daniel. Now look at this. Look at verse number 21. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man, what's that name? Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision previously, came to me. Now what angel appears to Daniel? Gabriel. Well, in Daniel chapter 8, Gabriel appears for the very first time in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 8, when Gabriel is identified, it's the first time uh, a name is given to an angel. So we know that this angel Gabriel is a spokesperson of God. Now quickly think about this. What other story in the Bible does Gabriel speak to someone? Say Mary, the mother of Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you got that right. Gabriel spoke to Mary. Gabriel spoke to Mary. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. I mean, is this blowing your mind or what? Maybe not. Okay. Look at verse number 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 26, this is what it said. This is the Christmas story. Now, in the sixth month, the angel, everybody say that name? Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Jump to verse 28. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now look at verse number 30. And the angel Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Question for you. Do you know what find favor with God means? This is what it means. It means... You are highly esteemed. Hold on to that. Hold on to that phrase. You are highly esteemed. That's what find favor means. Now go back with me to Daniel chapter 9. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 9, verse 22. Gabriel is speaking to Daniel. He's interrupted uh, Daniel's prayer. He says this in verse 22. He, Daniel, excuse me, Gabriel, gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have come, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding, meaning prophecy. I'm going to give you a prophecy, and I'm going to help you to understand it. Now look at verse 23. And at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, meaning this. That as soon as he prayed, God told uh, Gabriel to go talk to Daniel. Which is the same thing God told Gabriel to do to Mary. He said, go speak to them. I've got a message <clears throat> for you. And it says this. <clears throat> and I have come. Time out. Time out. <clears throat> I'm building the suspense. <laughs> All right. All right, so look at verse 23. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, meaning God is sending Gabriel to go speak to Daniel, just as God sent Gabriel to speak to Mary. And I have come, I have come to tell you, for you, Daniel, are highly esteemed. You get it? You see it? Gabriel tells Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Do you know what highly esteemed in the Hebrew means? It means you have found favor with God. So Gabriel gives Daniel and Mary the same greeting. And he comes to both of them and says, you are highly favored. And because you are highly favored, I am going to give you a prophecy. I am going to give you something that is going to benefit my people. He does that to Daniel, and he does that to Mary. Well, 
is there a connection? So what, if, if they've given a message, is there a connection between what Gabriel says to Daniel and what Gabriel says to Mary? Is there a connection? I believe this, there is. And this is the connection from Babylon to Bethlehem to Brunswick and beyond. And here's the message that Gabriel is going to say to both of them. Get ready, your king is coming. Your king is coming. I want you to write this down because we're going to look at some very difficult passages of Scripture. I want you to write this down. God set the time for the Messiah to come. Okay, look at verse number 24. Now, I told you earlier that these verses, 24 to 27, these are known as the keyhole to biblical prophecy. This is the foundation here. This is some deep teaching. This is not fluff. This is very difficult to understand, but if you catch just a glimpse of this, you will understand the end times. So, are you ready? Verse 24. 70 weeks, Gabriel says to Daniel, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So the first thing that Gabriel tells um, Daniel is this, is that something has been decreed for you and for your people and for your holy city, and it has been 70 weeks. What does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, the word for weeks is Shabbayim, and it simply means seven. So if you look back at verse 24, it simply reads 70 sevens. That's what it means. 70 sevens. Now, does it mean 70 sevens weeks, days, months, or years? Well, history and context tells us that this represents 70 sets of seven years. Okay? I want you to write this down. Now, you multiply those two numbers together, 70 times 7, and that equals 490. Calculators are good. 70 times 7, so 490 years. So the very first thing that Gabriel says to Daniel for us to understand is this. There will be 490 years for something to take place. What is that? Well, let's keep reading, okay? I want you to write this down. God tells us why the Messiah will come, okay? He's going to tell us why. He's telling us what. Now he's going to tell us why. 70 weeks, verse 24, 70 weeks, that's 490 years, have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So we know that this prophecy is for Jerusalem. It's for the Jewish people. It's not for the church. Okay? Replacement theology, the church replaces Israel. No, 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 no. God is still going to work with Israel. Right now, he has them on hold. Here in a few moments, we're going to see that he's going to get them back onto the line. But right now, Israel's on hold, but this is the prophecy. That's for them. Now, here's the six reasons why the Messiah is going to come and why we need the Messiah. Look at this. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Here they are. To finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity. Well, that sure sounds like something that we know, doesn't it? Sure sounds like it. Sure sounds like what Jesus did on the cross. 
to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now look at verse number 25, because Gabriel has laid out a general outline and purpose of the 70 weeks, and now he's going to give us more and more detail. Now he's going to tell Daniel when this 490 years is going to begin and where we are in this uh, prophecy, all right? Look at verse number 25. So you, Daniel, are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, that's Jesus, the Anointed One, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. What in the world is Gabriel talking about? Well, this is really tough, so just, just hang with me, okay? Now remember, Gabriel has said, before Jesus comes or when the Messiah returns, God has set the time, and there has been 490 years, right? 70 sets of seven, 490 years. And Gabriel tells us, God, through Gabriel to Daniel to us, it tells us that this was a clear-cut, precise act recorded in history. That this timeline begins when a decree has been made. That's what verse 25 says. That this timeline, the end times, begin when a decree has been made for the Jewish people to return home, to build their city, and to build their walls. Now, History tells us, and the Bible tells us, that there has only been one decree in all of history that has given the Jewish people permission to go back to their homeland to rebuild the walls and the city of Jerusalem. And that was decreed on a very specific date, and it's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah chapter 2, the decree was issued in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, who is of the Medes and the Persians' descent. He makes a decree and says, all Jewish people, you can go back and you can rebuild the walls and you can rebuild the city. And we know for a fact that that began in the year 445 B.C. You need to write that down. 445 B.C. <clears throat> Let's do some math. Boy, isn't this exciting? Look at your name and say, this is great. I love math. I love math. This is wonderful. I love math. So write this down, 445 B.C. is the countdown to the Messiah. Now he's writing to the Jewish people. So he's writing and letting the Jewish people know that a Messiah will come. That a Messiah will come. Take a step back for right now. What do the current non-Messianic Jews believe today? They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for him. God, through Gabriel, through Daniel, says, he's coming, and I'm going to tell you when he's going to come. And it starts at a very specific date, 445 B.C., okay? Now, let's, let's work this out. In verse 25, Daniel says there's actually two divisions of these periods of weeks, okay? Look at verse 25. He says this, there will be seven weeks, again, that week, word weeks is seven, so that's Seven sets of seven, which equals 49 years. Okay, write that in your notes. That's 49 years. So there's one set of 49 years. The second set is 62 weeks, which equals 434 years. Lots of numbers, I know. But let's look at that very first set 
of seven, the seven weeks, that 49-year period, okay, from 445 B.C., for the next 49 years, guess what happened? The city of Jerusalem was what? Rebuilt. It was rebuilt. It was rebuilt. It was rebuilt and it was restored. History proves this. The Bible tells us. And the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt again. It was rebuilt by Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel. It's all in our Old Testament. And so when they go back, it's all part of this fulfillment of the prophecy of the 70 weeks. At the conclusion of those 49 years, at the conclusion of the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, um, the Old Testament, we come close to the end of the Old Testament period. And at the end of those 49 years is when the 62 weeks, or the 62 weeks, the 62 times 7, which is 434 years, that's when it begins. Now, let's add these numbers together. Okay, 49 plus 434 equals what? Somebody say 483 for me, please. 483. Equals 483 years. If you and I, and scholars have done this, okay? This is very, very precise, but scholars have, have said this. Do you take that 483 and you take it from 445 B.C., beginning with the decree to return to Jerusalem, then we see the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the walls, and then we see the next 434 years. Here's what scholars say, and we're all in agreement with, with 483 years ends in the year 32 A.D. Who's on the planet at that time? Say Jesus. And scholars will even go out to say, and I'm not going to get into this, this this morning, just don't have enough time to do this, but scholars will say, and they're in agreement with this, that in the year 30, 31, 32 A.D., when Jesus is on this planet, that this prophecy, that the end of the 62 weeks when the Messiah, the Prince, is revealed is the exact day when Jesus walks on the back of a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and they lay down the palm branches and they say, blessed is the King, blessed is the Messiah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what we see here in verse number 25, we see the promise of the Messiah and when the Messiah will be made known. Jesus made himself known as Messiah when he walked into, Jerusalem, walked into Jerusalem during that Passion Week, the last week of his life. And all of this is being prophesied 500 years before this ever takes place. Look at your neighbor and say, wow. Now look at your other neighbor and say, I'm so confused. <laughs> well, look at verse 26 and 27. Okay, because watch this. Have you ever heard of the seven years of tribulation? Guess where it comes from? Right here, what we're about to read. That's where it comes from. Okay, verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, what happened in the 62nd week? Jesus walked into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then after the 62 weeks, that Messiah, he will be what? Cut off. That's code word for killed. He will be cut off and have nothing. What happened when Jesus was crucified? Who fled? Everybody. Everybody fled. 
And that was one of the arguments against the Messiah. Who's following this guy? There's nothing. He has nothing. Instead of the Messiah, did he even have a home uh, to lay his head upon? He had nothing. This is all fulfilled. So any Jewish person who's listening, the Messiah has already come. It's been fulfilled. Now look, and the people, verse 26, he'll be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince, who's the prince? Say the Antichrist. That's from Daniel chapter 7, the little horn. Daniel chapter 8, the Antichrist, this is what he's talking about. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Side note, who is going to destroy Jerusalem uh, and the sanctuary? The prince? The people of the prince. And in 70 AD, the Roman Empire, whom we've been talking about, the Roman Empire comes and destroys Jerusalem burns it to the ground, and throws down the rocks, the stones from the temple, which Jesus said, all these rocks will be thrown down. Wow. And its end will come with a flood. Now listen, look what it says next. Even to the end, there will be war, and the desolations are determined. Does that mean that the end time has already been determined? Absolutely it has. Now look at verse 27. We're going to close here. And you're going, thank you, Jesus. I can't take much more of this. <laughs> Trust me, your preacher can't either. Let's go. And he, okay, here's, here's, your, here's your seven years of tribulation. And he, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. What does a week mean? Seven. Seven years. But in the middle of that seven years, which is three and a half years, he will put a stop to a sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come. Now look, on the wings of the abomination, when the Antichrist defiles the sanctuary, when he defiles the temple, look what he says next. After that will come. What is that referencing? That's the second advent. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Who, one will come who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So in that last week, that last set of seven, that last seven years, the Antichrist is going to rule. He's going to come and he's going to make a pact with, his, with God's people. In the middle of that pact, he's going to destroy that pact. And at the end of that three and a half years, finally God says, I've had enough and I'm sending Jesus again and it will come at that midnight hour all here in Daniel chapter chapter 9 24 through 27 well what do we do with this knowledge that we have today I have no idea no what do we do here's what we do with this because you know this from reading our text from studying Daniel, we know exactly where we are in the end time prophecy, do we not? Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, I think so. We're somewhere between the 69th and 70th week. That's where we are. We're somewhere in there. Because that first set of sevens, seven sevens, 49 years has already taken place. The 62 sevens, 434 years, guess what? That's already what? 
taking place. I can tell you know this perfectly. But the Antichrist hasn't started. That last week has not started. Hasn't started just yet. Now, some can make arguments differently. But we're somewhere in there. But what does that mean? It means this. That we need to get prepared. I started this message by talking about, you know, are, are we ready for Christmas? We can't wait for Christmas. You know, many of us on Thursday after Thanksgiving, many of us began to make preparations for Christmas. Did we not? Lights, lights on the house, lights on the tree, stockings hung, presents purchased. And we make preparations. Why? Why do we do that? Because, because we want to be ready when Santa Claus comes. Think about that. We make preparations at our house. We get everything ready and prepared because we wait for that one moment when Santa Claus comes to town. Daniel 9 tells us that somebody greater than Santa is coming again. We need to get prepared. And our hearts need to be ready because when our Savior splits the sky, it's too late. It's too late. You don't get a second chance. You don't get to say, wait, wait a minute, I, I wasn't ready for this. No, 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 no. It's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. So are you prepared this morning? Are you prepared when that are you prepared for when Jesus comes? Are you prepared when, when prophecy is fulfilled and maybe, it's, maybe, maybe we see things going on and we can read what's happening, but are you prepared? Are you prepared? Well, Pastor, what do we do? Well, we just said what we need to do in our text. We need to read God's Word. We need to pray. And we need to wait and allow God to act. And in turn, we need to do this. We need to turn from our wicked ways and return to Jesus. That's the message of Christmas. God sending his son to die for our sins so that we could turn from our wickedness and we could follow him for all eternity. Today is the day of salvation because Jesus is soon coming again. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, Daniel chapter 9 was a very difficult passage but a very timely one and a very truthful one. I pray, Almighty God, that you would speak to us this morning. And if there is somebody here who is not prepared, I pray today that they would get prepared, that they would turn of their wicked ways, turn from the world, and turn to follow you because you have already paid the penalty for our sin. So if that's you this morning and you need to get ready, it begins by you bowing your knee in humility to Jesus Christ and confess him as Savior and Lord. Would you do that in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, right before the Lord right now? Would you do that? For those of you who have already made that decision, maybe there's some other things that we need to, to clean out of our lives so that we can get right with the Lord. Whatever it is, don't leave this morning without making it right with Jesus. Father, have your way now. In Jesus' name we pray.